Okay, time to put the game face on. Um. Yeah, sorry to <laughs> drop that on. No, it's fine. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I usually have the, the little bit of time in the green room to, to you know get into razzle dazzle mode. You know, but uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, I think we are on page uh, now uh, one seventy two. Yeah, I think we're starting yeah. the section on system two. System two. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, welcome to the Reign of the Firm reading group, uh, 17th maybe session, who the fuck knows at this point. I think um, we're 16 now, maybe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we're still on chapter 12. Um, uh, chapter 12 is autonomics, systems one, two, and three. We've got through system one, which is the first couple of pages, and that took a while. But now we're on to the part about system two. We're start picking up here at the bottom of page 172. Um, notes on the operation of system two. So I'm going to read a little bit. Um, system two is the meta system subsuming all systems one. Throughout this book, its existence has been diagrammatically indicated by the tall, thin, rectangular box drawn around the column of boxes, which are themselves the system one. However, the mechanisms of system two are found in the interlinking of the divisional regulatory centers and in the corporate regulatory center, as shown in figure 31. So it would be correct and even helpful to think of system two as an elaborate interface between systems one and three. It partakes in both. Um, pretty sweet to get some clarity on exactly what system two is. Um, I, I took this to mean that this that system two is is really the the sort of network and interfaces between the systems one. It's it's the nerve channels, um, plus this little bit at the top, right? That we've been looking at the the sort of medium sized triangle at the top of the other triangles. Um, which uh, seems to act as this kind of like helper with this with this intercommunication. Um, Let's go on a little bit. The need for a system two was explained at some length as being the only means whereby uncontrolled oscillation between the divisions could be prevented. Consider now exactly how this works. An example from any kind of operation will do since, since all operations are measured and monitored in terms of achievement indices. Suppose that division B receives a raw material from division A, which is for A, a finished product. Note the physical stuff will be transferred from A to B down the squiggly pipeline, which joins their two circles in figure 27. The requisition of the raw material, however, and its acknowledgement, progressing, and invoicing are all information transfers, which will occur on the vertical paravertebral chains shown in figure 31. So um, any comments on this little bit here? about system two, because I feel like that's that's the main chunk of the theoretical stuff. Um, and a bit of the rest of this is gonna be walking through a kind of example, uh, but the, the, main, the main bit is actually in there. Um, who we got, JKH. Yeah, I think um, I, it's not interesting. It's, it talks about um, the need for system two being the only means where uncontrolled oscillation between divisions. So, mm -hmm. I mean, is that like, is prevented? I mean, is that basically saying like, you know, kind of without this, there's the potential for oscillations to like still occur, or even oscillations will occur even with the system two, but then just not be controlled unless there is that system two. Because that's mm. kind of how I'm 
how I'm seeing it. Like, I mean, those those systems can kind of communicate with each other. And if you scroll back up to or turn back uh-huh. page or, uh, to to figure twenty seven, there's like it's like in between each in one. There's like this little squiggly line mm-hmm. uh, that they describe. So I guess it's basically it's it's like is system two not supposed to be the totality of the connections between system one, systems one, system ones, so that there's still kind of connections that aren't necessarily captured by system two explicitly. So there's a couple of layers to that. I think the the first one that jumps out at me is I think uncontrolled oscillation, I think is a sort of redundant term. I, I think it's a term of art that like oscillation is taken to be uncontrolled uh, and uncontrolledness is taken to be oscillations. I think I think it's a slightly redundant term, but it, you're right, it sort of does imply there would be a controlled oscillation or a uh, uncontrolled something other than oscillations. Um, Kyle, go for it. Uh, I'm not totally certain that that's the case because mm-hmm. uh, you could have, like, say, a uh, regular... Uh, material um, transfer between two system ones Mm -hmm. uh, and that would be an oscillation but it would be a regular one right like it would just be like oh you know like A, B, A, B A, B, A, B so the rate would be controlled and the rhythm would be controlled Uh, Mm -hmm. it's just it's, it's yeah you know uh, I think the uncontrolled oscillation is when you have the, um, it 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 gets progressively worse, right? Um, yeah. Like uh, the, yeah, it, the fluctuations become more and more extreme. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, Mark O, go for it. Um, yeah. So just uh, uh, going back to the last section of the book and the. Uh, the system to talk there i get i think of like his example is like oh hey department a is usually ships 800 units to department b for processing Mm -hmm. but then there's a hey hey we're running a little bit late so try and do something else and the uncontrolled oscillation is is like oh okay so i sent some people home oh then it all came in now Mm -hmm. we need people back and it just like it just takes longer for you know people to like get caught up with their normal work and like have the you know say know what's coming and like have everybody staffed when they need them and be on top of that so mm-hmm. yep definitely um i think there was i think uh, jake also mentioned something about the squiggly lines um so that this is this is mentioned at the, just at the end of the part that we just read so if we look back at figure 27 on page 157 um, the divisional circles are connected by these squiggly lines. And that, I think those are the sort of like imminent material flows, like the, the real material connections between things. And then over to the right, they're also sort of interconnected through system two. And what, what he's saying here is that the, the actual furnishing of the, the real material flow, the energetic flow, will be in the squiggly lines. And it happens just in the activity of the thing itself. But it's the it's the regulation of that flow that happens in system two. So it's the bookkeeping and the kind of order processing and stuff like that. So it's like you, you get a pile of bricks, but you also get an invoice for a pile of bricks. Um, and the invoice is the system two sort of thing, and the bricks are are the bricks. Yeah, Kyle, go for it. Uh, yeah, on the Wikipedia diagram, those squiggly lines are labeled as operational linkages. 
mm-hmm. um, in the in the legend right. at the bottom. Uh, I don't know if that helps at all, but I just th- saw that in the bottom of the page there. Um, uh, I think that does. That's that's good terminology. Um, I'm just getting that 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 diagram up again. Um, but Beer does kind of emphasize a couple of times throughout the book that what we're contending with in the viable system model is a control system that is not identical to the system that the like imminent real system like the 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 flow of blood is a is a thing but the regulation of the of the rate of flow of blood is a is a control system um so there's there's this kind of like sticky messy kind of real interconnectedness and then there's this like interconnectedness of a control system uh, which are not necessarily the same thing but you probably want them to map fairly closely to each other i've just put a link to the 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 good wikipedia diagram in the chat also um rudy go for it yeah i was thinking like how sometimes it looks like system two is the collection of all system ones Mm -hmm. and how sometimes system two is drawn as something outside the system ones and they're having a bit of trouble making sense of this when when I got to speak to some of the people at Metaforum, um, I was off, I was quizzing them about the same sort of thing, and I came away with the impression that uh, System Two is a, is the sort of communications network and the coordination technologies that allow for coordination. Um, so, for example, like Slack or email or Discord or whatever would be this one of the System Two kind of substrates. It's, so it's one of the things that allows for synchronization. But one example that Stafford actually uses, I'm, I'm not sure he uses it in the book but he uses it elsewhere, is using a calendar as system two. So in a, in a school, you have all of these different processes going on, and they're all contending for limited resources, such as rooms and lab- laboratories and so on. Um, and that is potential for conflict. There's going to be conflict over these things. Like, you know, I want to use it, you want to use it, that sort of thing. And the way to resolve the conflicts and the way to prevent oscillation and instability is to use something that synchronizes the activity. And that something could be as simple as a calendar or an email just saying, okay, you use it on Tuesday, I'll use it on Wednesday. And that's that's the synchronization. Um, so some of the System 2 stuff seems to kind of melt into the background, especially if you don't actually have those conflicts because... You know, I mean, imagine like in an organization where everyone just starts to naturally use calendars for this kind of purpose. That stuff would kind of melt into the background, much in the way that the nervous system melts into the background for the organism. It's kind of unremarkable until it's missing. It's when when the nerve endings are severed, then you notice their absence um, because things suddenly become desynchronized. Um, does that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I think similarly for like Slack or something like that, it's just like, or even uh, I think in software development, like um, Git would be a system two component. Where it, it's a protocol that prevents or resolves conflicts with simultaneous independent action. So you have many developers operating autonomously on what is conceptually the same unit of work and their changes and all their stuff gets synchronized and integrated through this this piece of infrastructure. Uh, but that's that's one that doesn't jump out as being especially obvious either. Um, uh, JKH. Yeah, I like that description as kind of like something that's a little less like made up of people who do this mm-hmm. sort of thing and more like a uh, 
sort of auto, automatic process that like collects these things and then you know system three is the thing and 3a is the thing that of course is three but three is the thing that actually deals with when there's a problem but like like taking git for an example like you know it just works until it doesn't and then suddenly there's a problem like i can't you know pull from master or whatever you know whatever mm-hmm. it is something that's when sort of the higher process <laughs> needs to come to play and then yeah. it's like okay this is this is working fine and now there's a problem um, so you, have I, to, you have to get into rebasing, you know, and it's right, like, oh yeah. shit, this, this thing's broken down now and it's noticeable, whereas everything else was unremarkable until that point. Right. Yeah. right, yeah, exactly. I think that 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 sort of, I mean, if, I, if I'm understanding this correct, it, it kind of has crystallized a little bit more for me. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely seems like a place where, you know, when considering like an organization, that's something that like, it's just a matter of finding the right processes and not so much like a matter of making sure people are doing the work of mm-hmm. like, collecting these things i mean there could be that too but just like having the right spaces and like tech like Mm -hmm. place whatever structures in place to like collect the things and like bring things together you'd hope for it to be automatic because you kind of don't want to be turning that crank by hand because it's a lot of work right you kind of want the calendar to just work work automatically so that you don't need to intervene um, to do that sort of stuff. I guess that's where you get the kind of layering from system two to three, is that like system three is a more active kind of interventional sort of thing, whereas you'd, you'd really hope that the system two infrastructure just kind of works. Um, and if it isn't working, it would probably require intervention. Um, fellow Jitster, whoever that is, um, the one person who's not named. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, I, I didn't realize it. Then. Hey. Uh, it didn't put me on a name. Uh, uh, yeah, um, I, I'm on my phone. Um, yeah, um, uh, what's it? Um, uh, I, I think um, uh, with System One, System Two, I, I think like a lot of the infrastructure that we deal with kind of does double duty because like if System One is like um, you know, like, like it's not you know, it's not the actual arm. You know, so System One is the neuromuscular junction. Um, uh, if, if, if I'm getting this right, um, uh, you know, like between, you know, like where you know, it's where the rubber meets the road. It's where the nervous system actually is like dealing with like effectors and sensors. And so like, uh, you know, something like uh, uh, JIRA, you know, like is kind of both system one uh, and system two for you. Because like when it's just giving you your task, it's, uh, you know, it's system one. But like when it's like, a, um, you know, uh, looking for who's blocking who and stuff like that, then it's system two. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, definitely. Uh, Kyle. Oh, yeah. This uh, talk of like coordination mechanisms just had me thinking about, uh, you know, that recent revelation that uh, Twitter was being used as a counterinsurgency data gathering (laughs) uh, platform and the way in which uh, coordinating protest on Twitter. has become quite fraught because of that. (laughs) So if your system two is, uh, co-opted by your enemy, it's, uh, it's a big problem, uh, because Mm -hmm. kind of like, uh, there's a lot of regular, uh, coordination information that's being shared there. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Uh, Jake. Yeah. Um, That actually makes me think of like the, like, System two obviously is very necessary, but just like the sort of problems with like you're saying, like trying to organize protests on Twitter or just like trying to organize like uh, protests or meetings on Facebook of just like having like kind of a really high level of like kind of like having a system two where there's a really high level of variety, like mm-hmm. can like cause problems where not 
where it doesn't properly integrate people because there's kind of all these other pathways for them to shoot off into. Um, I, I, it's just been something like I've been thinking a lot about in terms of like my organizing of just like having a more dedicated space for like connecting with the people doing the organizing that's not like also used as like a distracting social media, you know, because it's just like you'll kind of get people who like wander into it who get connected to it without necessarily like being plugged into the work because they're like, they're already on Facebook. And so they follow the page and they see that's happening, but it can also lead to like, like you've said with Twitter, like it can lead to like bad actors kind of being aware of what you're doing. And it can lead to like, um, I guess improper, like connection to system three, you know, where there's not a great way to really see, sort of the overview of how the connections are working. I don't know. Yeah. That just kind of, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. Um, yeah, definitely. That's, um, that's certainly, certainly a interesting sort of thought, and especially when these are like, they're recreational platforms as well. It's like, ah, it's just too, it's, it's very easy to get distracted by the, the cool shiny or whatever, whatever happens to be going on. Um, let's read a tiny bit more. Um, so this is just after the part where we're talking about the requisition and the information transfer amongst the uh, system ones. How, first of all, is this requisition placed? In most firms, an actual internal order for the raw material is originated by B and sent to A. Yet in most instances, although one can think of exceptions, this is a silly procedure, a ritual which people think must be undertaken for the sake of sound accounting in the office. It is contrary to the notion of continuous planning and control developed throughout this book. In fact, Division A knows very well that a volume of this particular raw material flows to Division B and it currently produces what B currently consumes, unless that it is an interdivisional stock of the stuff is held. In that case, more complicated rules may be used to govern A's output and to suit B's input. But in general and over a period, actuality is the same for A as for B in relation to this material. If it were not so, the stock, or Q, as we call a stock we do not like, um, would become infinitely large or else B would have idle capacity or for lack of supplies. So that's an interesting piece, right? That like, it's, it's not so much that the, the, the order placing the invoicing is kind of a, a sideshow. There's a, there's a, there's a continuous flow that is, you know, realistically it is predicted on both ends. Um, and in fact, that, ha that, con that flow has to continue for any of this stuff to work. So Doing the bookkeeping is kind of a, you know, well, it's just bookkeeping, really. It's not, when you place the order, the, the same fucking order every month, you know, it's like you're, you know, you, you go down to the, you go down to the grocery store for your, the same pack of smokes you've been getting every day for the past 20 years. And it's like, well, just, <laughs> you could have predicted that was going to happen. There's not much information content in, in going and doing it. Uh, Kyle. Yeah. Uh... This kind of reminded me, like, if I if I remember correctly, um, there is a section in Capital Volume Three that is about clearing houses, mm -hmm. and it really reminded me of what Beer's saying here, <laughs> like yeah. Mark sort of explaining why they're useful uh, in that section. Reminded me a lot of what Beer is saying here, uh, just mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, like sometimes you just need. Uh, the operation to clear, and uh, you you don't need to go through a whole complicated process of uh, transaction to do it. Mm -hmm. In fact, you're better off not doing that because there's a there's a 
if you, if you were doing all of the nitty gritty transaction stuff all the time, there's a cost to all of those little actions. Mm-hmm. You're better off abstracting over it. Yeah. You get this efficiency of, well, it's the same, the same stuff shows up every month. Just, just keep it rolling, you know? And you can, you can kind of forget about the details since this process of abstraction over the details. Um, yeah. And it's sort of, again, gets it, it gets it that, that how like terrible the idea was with Sears of creating like <laughs> internal markets. Right. Absolutely. It's like you're just yeah. adding all this extra noise to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, Jeremy. I think the reason why you have these A to B requisitional things that Beard doesn't like is because at the top, they don't really trust anyone below. Mm-hmm. And so it could really easily be like, oh, hey, you have some things. Yeah, you send them to us every month. Fine. Everything is fine. But you know that people at the top are terrified that subordinates are stealing. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they have to mark everything down, even if it screws up their entire business, because the CEO is lying awake at night worried that people are stealing from him, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that's, I, I think this is sort of hitting the pathology of capitalism. Yeah. It's interesting that that, that, the, um, that also... I think ties in with um, like this history of, I mean, it has a labor angle as well. Like, so with, with the history of shipping, like prior to containerization, like I guess like old school shipping, um, you kind of expected to lose maybe 10% of the stuff along the way because, you know, the boys, they have their little cut off the top every time they unload and, and stuff like that. Right. The, the, the shipping and handling folks, the folks that work on the ships and, when you were sending grain or like boxes of screws or whatever overseas, you just kind of expected some of them to disappear because that was just understood to be the way things worked. And it was, you know, the way that the, um, the, the, the shipping folks kind of padded out some of their income. Um, that all went away with containerization because now you've got these big locked boxes and you've got this very tightly controlled process where every little tiny thing is accounted for. And you suddenly can't really have an entire shipping container go missing um, halfway along the way. Whereas, you know, you could take a little scoop of grain out of that box and who's going to fucking notice? You know, it's, uh, that, that's what you get for your bread the next day. Um, so, yeah, that's, there is this certainly a, like a paranoiac kind of instinct in these capitalist firms to account for absolutely everything. So as to leave no elbow room whatsoever for uh, for labor to do anything, you know, and especially not not stealing from them, which was was cool and good, uh, and should be continued. Um, Rightio, let's uh, let's read this big chunk of page one hundred and seventy four, um, which does actually I think get into some of this um, these kind of more uh, crazy dynamics. Um, then we start with the notion of a material flow, which, however, governed which however governed to suit the two divisions is understood to exist and to be adjusted to B's actuality, which varies with its own order book. Here we have a simple error controlled feedback system. Now suppose that for complex reasons, A's capability falls, its productivity will then be affected. Suppose it is so affected that the measure of achievement for the production of this material leaves its statistical achievement group. In division A, this will be detected at step three, and a replanning process will take necessary action through steps four, five, six, and seven to make sense of the production program. 
The directors will be alerted so that its members, the B and C functions of figure 30, do what they must do to investigate matters, hopefully to restore productivity to its former level. Um, so, you know, things change, situation changes, half of the crew in, in part A fall sick and capability drops. Um, so internally, this has to be replanned. Um, the next question concerns the impact of all of this on Division B, whose supplies are now in jeopardy. In an orthodox system, it is a moot point whether or whether or when B will be officially informed. The supplying management may be too proud, too optimistic, or too forgetful to alert the consuming management. If not, what is actually to be said? <clears throat> we, are, we are having a bit of trouble in the annealing, old man. We'll, uh, we'll alert Division B, whose managers will then try to discover what this remark means. <laughs> will the material be late? And if so, how late? How much stock is there? Should they go outside for supplies and so on? So this is this a really good example of this cascade from internal problems in Division A that will impact B. But in this, you know, orthodox way of doing things, um, you know, the people in A are incentivized to save their own skin. So they, they sort of nudge, wink, let on, eh, there's maybe problems, but they won't tell you exactly what the problems are. Now it's time for Division B to freak out. And, you know, we're going to get into oscillation. Any remarks on this so far? Uh, Mark? Oh. <laughs> that, that section kind of cracks me up because uh, it's like, wait, is that like, I mean, I think you just explained it well, but like the way it's written, it's like, is that just British understatement? Like, oh, mm. spot of bother, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Be specific, man. Exactly. <laughs> Anyways, just. There is a bit of that, I think. It's a rather, it's a rather sort of British thing. Um, but, mm. you know, there's, there's certainly this, I guess, I mean, we saw it all over the place in the Soviet Union, right? Where oh, no sure. would tell you the right numbers because they were fucking terrified of just being shot. <laughs> Totally. Um, and that happens in the US too, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Right. Um, yeah, it's and, like with the COVID misreporting. <laughs> uh huh. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely, right? Uh, Steve. Yeah, it reminded me um, of, uh, as Kyle already brought up, the, the People's Republic of Walmart. Uh, mm -hmm. Sears example, right? I mean, that seems like a perfect example where like everybody was sort of guarding themselves and uh, off of the siloed on their own. And it's not actually a way to keep things streamlined and moving forward. It's just everybody working against each other. Right, yeah. It, it ends up with a kind of circular firing squad dynamic in the in the whole company or in the whole organization, right? Like everyone's out to get everyone else because they're all desperately trying to defend themselves. Um, not, not good stuff. Uh, Jake, go for it. Yeah, I mean, like, it's kind of already brought up the sort of example of, like, or, or rather just like what happens in you know, American corporations and then like, you know, what happened in, or what would have happened in like the USSR if, you know, you weren't able to get the needed materials from Division A, you know, you just end up like lying or you end up trying to make do or whatever. And it's just kind of just makes me think of this sort of the hand waving away of like how to deal with the stuff that like a lot of people who, I mean, who haven't sort of given it the sort of cybernetic thought do of just like, well, if there's a problem, then the workers will deal with it, you know? And it's like, what does that mean in real life? It means that either they don't, they don't deal with it or like, and then things, and then it's, you get that sort of, um, what is it? Uh, un, 
unwanted, uncontrolled oscillations because mm-hmm. then their output is not able to be used by the divisions that need it. And so I just, I'm just like once again sort of reminded of this sort of the new way of thinking, or I guess the the sort of uniqueness of like Peter's thoughts of just like mm-hmm. here's an actual way of, of dealing with it, or, or here's the sort of necessary systems that we need to actually deal with it. You know, not in a way that just sort of hand waves it off as if you know this kind of thing will just spring up automatically, or you know, or that it's unnecessary to think about. But just like yeah, I don't know. Just this is very interesting stuff. I'm glad. I think the, one of the other things that happens usually is that this stuff gets naturalized. It's, it's just, oh, this is human nature or this is, um, you know, this, the, these departments. It's like, well, what would you expect from those guys? You know, it's, of course, they're going to be late with the stuff. Um, I mean, I've seen this with in software engineering where it's like the, the sort of flow of bugs from production, from, from development to the support team is, is all over the fucking place. And every, every new deployment brings its own flood of bugs. And the support people or the, the customer support people just kind of come to expect. It's like, well, the, the, the developers are jackasses. Of course, they're going to produce bugs, right? And it's often that, that that feedback loop between the two departments isn't sufficiently closed. Um, and they don't have meaningful feedback to like, or, you know, it's like if you have a backflow, of problems because you're producing problems, then you're incentivized to like actually create structures like, oh, we should have automated testing so that we don't discover bugs in production. And that's how you regulate the defect rate down to zero. And that's how you make the two departments happy. But in the absence of all of that, in the absence of even the concept of feedback, it's just like, well, this is the nature of the things. It, it is the nature of developers to produce terrible software. And it's in the nature of support people to drive themselves insane. And trying to support this stuff, um, and that's that's just naturalized, right? Um, indeed. Uh, let's crack on a small bit. Um, so now, I'll complicate this example one little bit. Suppose that not only division B but divisions E, F, and G also use A's product. Perhaps B could borrow from the E, F, or G stocks, but these divisions are threatened too. Suddenly, we are in a competitive situation instead of a collaborative one. And the experience shows that this is where communications break down, for an element of gamesmanship is introduced into an already complicated situation. The fact that all of this can happen, has happened, often happens, leads to a new result. The consuming divisions adopt a cautious policy about their stocks and try to build them up. The financial authorities become alarmed, the performance of investment is being adversely affected, and they intervene. Meanwhile, all concerned devise rules and procedures for handling the situation, which are supposed to be fair, supposed to be collaborative, supposed to be optimal. But by now, people are playing poker with the situation. Trust is lost. Informal rules are adopted at the divisional level, which are intended to secure local satisfaction. And oscillation has set in. Yeah, this is interesting where this, this like, the emergence of all of these complex rule sets to deal with the catastrophe that all comes after the catastrophe and it takes the catastrophe to be its ground truth the the ground truth like you see this in bourgeois thought right you see it in the hobbesian view of the world and all this kind of stuff right that like mistrust and conflict are the fundamental ground truths and all of this leviathan shit needs to be there to deal with that problem but there's a fundamental problem beneath it all that is the the oscillation and blockage 
and obstruction of these of these like material flows, these like imminent flows of life of production, they're all fucked. They're all they're all blocked and they're all diverged in crazy ways because they're not actually controlled and regulated properly. And it's all of the wild bourgeois stuff emerges as a sort of a paranoid, fearful response to the conditions that are produced by the instability. But the irony is that those things are not an answer to the instability. They're not, they're not actually going to solve it. At the absolute best, they're going to be a Band-Aid solution. They'll be a, a palliative. But the fundamental contradiction, the fundamental contradiction of a society that is divided within and against itself, that will still be there. The organism will still be at war with itself, but maybe we can patch up some of the damage. Um, Kyle, go for it. Yeah, I mean, this is essentially what socialism came to mean under the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of interdivisional competition was rampant. Hoarding was rampant for exactly mm-hmm. the reason that Beer uh, describes. And for people's everyday life, there was a constant need to accumulate bureaucratic credentials that would allow them to just perform the most basic things like getting their, you know, uh, water in their apartment working again. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to have like a form from this department certifying this and that and the other thing. And that originally came from essentially the uh, mistrust that the Bolsheviks had towards the Soviet population because they were trying to build a worker state in a peasant country, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, bad. Uh, And then uh, (laughs) beyond that, uh, there was the, the sort of oscillations and chaos of war communism Right. And this all just sort of led a legacy or led a foundation that or created a foundation that led to this uh, legacy of uh, informal resource allocation and very sclerotic internal bureaucratic procedure. Uh, mm-hmm. So really, the section that Beer is describing about one firm, it kind of just describes the entire history of the USSR yeah. as well. <laughs> Definitely right, and I think that's it, it, this is. I mean, it's it's not like it's only popping up here in beer. This is stuff that comes up elsewhere, right? But like, it's it's at this level of analysis that I kind of insist that that this the the USSR has to be written off as a catastrophic and abject failure. Like it it did not actually improve the fundamental relations of society or production in this kind of way. It actually led to this paranoia spiral and just like ever increasing insanity. Whereas the objective of socialism should be to do what Beer is suggesting here and actually solve the problem at its root so that the productive flows of life are synchronized correctly and can do without all of that fucking weird infrastructure and that, that like patchwork of informal ad hoc rules that is built up to, to govern scarcity and to, to govern madness, right? You want to cut below the madness and, uh, and solve it at that level. Uh, Jake, go for it. Yeah, I, I was thinking something very similar, just like sort of the fact that, you know, I mean, uh, this 
the example that Beer's giving is obviously under capitalism. Um, and so sort of the general relations of society are such mm-hmm. that, you know, when all else fails, people resort to what they know, what they're, you know, brought up within. And that is the sort of capitalist bourgeois mindset of competition of, you know, everyone out for themselves. And I think it also like relating it to like the USSR and other like socialist projects, I think it's like an example of like, um, yeah, like sort of, or maybe not an example, but just uh, further proof that they didn't like fundamentally, like you said, fundamentally alter the relations of production. Because when you get down to it, um, you know, when, when the, the, what was nominally the system in place falls apart or fails, people just revert right back to sort of this capitalist mode, uh, even mm-hmm. if they don't necessarily, I mean, you know, you could say the peasants were resorting more back to sort of the peasant, peasant mode of just like sealing themselves off, uh, if you were just like dealing with their own locals. But, um, and yeah, and so I think, I think it was really like important and like a good, a good, um, indication of like socialism should not allow for people to slip back into that mode. Like if it does, then it's, it's a failure in, in an attempt of socialism. You know, you can say all these things that it did better than what came before, but you, know, you can say that about capitalism. Um, and it's like, what, what we're really looking for is something that doesn't devolve into this mode uh, or just doesn't devolve back into sort of capitalist production or meet our relations of production. Um, you know, whenever something falls apart, because unfortunately, like we're gonna have to build it into the system. And I think that's where beer comes in really, uh, yeah. really important. Absolutely, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's right here, right? That like you get into a competitive situation instead of a collaborative one. I mean, like we, we get these these phrases, right? Like the, the the cooperative commonwealth or like a collaborative society, a socially organized society. And um, yeah, I mean, if you collapse from a, a, an attempt at a cooperative commonwealth into a competitive commonwealth, game over. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's, it's gone, right? Um, yeah, I, I don't think, like, I mean, my assessment of it is that what we see in the US sort didn't even remotely resemble a cooperative commonwealth. Um, it was very much institutionally not that. Um, but let's crack on. Um, the intention behind system two is twofold. First, the change in productivity in division A is automatically relayed to the other divisions by step 3A. The change notified is neither fuzzy nor emotive. It is a statistical statement couched in achievement numbers. The regulatory centers in other divisions can immediately evaluate the effect on their production plans and programs and look to the performance measures of their own stocks. Secondly, the corporate regulatory center receiving all this information is enabled to take a higher order view of the total consequences. It will report to system three, which be it remembered is on the vertical command axis and can take managerial action invoking, if necessary, the authority of system five. The corporate regulatory center, it can be seen is acting vis-a-vis system three, very much as the input synapse on the horizontal command axis acts vis-a-vis system one. So two layers to it. System two is relaying the data coming out of system one and passing it back and forth to all the other ones. So it's like keeping everyone up to date on everything. This is a lot like your standups, you know, your daily standups in, in software development, right? Like everyone's catching up on everyone else with just these very little snippets of what's going on. Um, and then there's a slightly higher level sort of integration where there's the, the system two is also keeping an eye on things in general and is able to act as this input synapse 
to transduce information upwards into system three and it would be able to um, alert it to crazy stuff going on um, if it felt the need to do so. Um, so it, but it also has this like layered reporting thing. So like the systems one are reporting to each other in this fairly continuous sort of way. And then system two is aggregating some of that stuff and pushing it upwards into system three um, and keeping an eye out for things going badly wrong. Um, any remarks on this part so far? Uh, Matt, go for it. Yeah, I'm, uh, the, he, going through this part again with with the, with the Git metaphor in mind, like like I feel like it maps on like pretty cleanly. Like you know, mm -hmm. uh, it, it would be uh, you know uh, system two, you know, um, saying hey, there's a the merge conflict, and then you know like that activates like higher levels to actually you know it, you know it gets the attention of people, you know, or, or, or it doesn't, you know, like a uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know system two operating would also say oh, okay, you know, like no, you know, uh, you know this can be merged with, with, without anything, uh, you know, or you know it can tap system three or you know or eventually even system five, you know. Actual like uh, um you know maintainers of the um of the repo you know uh, uh, to make decisions and you know like mm -hmm. tell you like like what exactly you need to do in order to uh, um you know uh, have it not conflict. Yeah, and I guess there's layers to that as well, right? That like there's um you know merge conflict just because of some white space changes or whatever, or some minor formatting changes, and it's like ah fine, fuck it, we'll just we'll fix those. There might be a merge conflict because. The, but at a higher level, there could well be a conflict because there's like something fundamentally incompatible about the design of the thing, and it's it's actually completely incompatible with some other module, and that would need intervention from higher. You'd have to actually get some heads together, um, probably some lead engineers and so on, to to really sort out like uh, that sort of thing. Um, but you'd you'd hope that it's all handled lower down. There's no reason for a white space change, and would need to alert the the most senior engineers on the team. Uh, it's like, who gives, a, who gives a shit? Just fucking fix the white space, you know? Um, indeed. Um, anything else? Or shall we, shall we crack on? Nope. Cool. Um, perhaps the main point of this whole arrangement is its automatic simplicity, and therefore its speed. The message that something has changed and like this goes simultaneously from the divisional regulatory center to, one, the divisional directorate, to other regulatory centers, and three, the corporate regulatory center, whence onward to system three if required. The job of the divisional directorate is first and foremost to discover what went wrong, what made this happen, and to devise measures to put it right. Meantime, everyone else has other fish to fry. The change is, for this epoch at least, a fact, and one which must be coped with. So the divisional regulatory center has reprogramming to do. The other divisions have consequences to draw and reports to make quickly to the corporate regulatory center. That center itself has to take fast corrective action, either through its regulating machinery or if managerial prerogatives are involved via system three and the command axis. So yeah, it's it's this flow of consequences, right? Some some shit went wrong in, in division A, fine, whatever, we have to deal with it. A needs to start replanning. B, C, D, E, and F need to check their plans. And if it if it turns out that D and F have a problem, they need to rope in system two, probably the, the, the higher parts of system two to help them out. Or if things are going very badly wrong and say the corporate uh, regulatory center notices that there's a, like a circular problem between a a to d to f to g to a and there's a there's like a, a fuck up loop that, that's that's starting to take shape it needs to fire an alert signal and put a flare into the air and say fuck quick system three get in here we need to sort this out now um anything any remarks 
it's all pretty pretty clean stuff compared to the system one part in the early part of the chapter. It's all fairly straightforward, I think. No, cool. Let's get this last couple of paragraphs for this section then. Contrast this with the orthodox procedures with which we are acquainted. The matter is not referred to the corporate level, if, if it ever is referred, until the oscillation has set in. This generates a difficult problem in terms of control theory, quite apart from human attitudes. But by the time these two have degenerated into suspicion and defensiveness, there is an appalling management problem of a social and psychological sort as well. Small wonder that these fundamental oscillatory mechanisms in the firm and in government and society at large prove so very damaging. They are a curse of our age because our age has produced so many large-scale organizations without a system too. Most of the successful ones I have observed have been entirely unofficial and largely unrecognized. Mm. The corporate regulatory center then is both a monitor and coordinator of divisional centers and also an input filter on the path to system three, to which we now turn, uh, which we probably won't turn in this session. Um, but that last point is interesting, right? That like the system two is either missing or it's present, but completely unofficial. It's, it's, it's water cooler conversation and stuff like that. It's rumors that are, uh, that are circulating or it's something along the lines of the skunk works where the workers recognize the need for synchronization. And so they do it informally using carrier pigeons or something because, you know, email is blocked in the network. We, we can't get, can't talk to each other. Um, or they walk, they walk to each other's offices and update each other that way. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So any thoughts on all this? Is this, I feel like this, this section on system two was actually pretty straightforward, but we do have a bit of time. Um, if we want to talk about it. Um, and I think next time we can get on to the part about system three, because it is fairly chunky. Uh, Kyle, go for it. Yeah, I, I think uh, I'm mostly interested in seeing the distinctions between the regulatory centers and the system mm -hmm. three activities. Because yeah. we talked a little bit about that in the system one discussion. Mm -hmm. as to like how the regulatory centers don't really like formulate their own strategies they kind yeah. of uh draw on a playbook to uh to to make decisions and to analyze situations uh but i'm interested to see in in, in the the section on uh System three, mm -hmm. what the specific differences are with the way that uh, system three addresses those problems um, and yeah, how definitely. they refer to each other. Yeah, I feel like the system two thing is fairly value neutral in terms of plans and particularities. I think the system two stuff is it looks like it's supposed to be general communications and coordination infrastructure that isn't too concerned with what your plan is. It just wants to know if it's changed and to help relay things along. So it has, it has this kind of like, it, it, it's an assistant, right? Like it's, it's a service that's provided to the system one units and the service is to help them synchronize themselves. Um, what, whatever, whatever plan they happen to be enacting system two is there to help them do the plan or to help, help, help them adjust each other's plans according to the changes that are happening. 
rather than system two having its own plans um, as such. And then there's then there's the monitoring thing, which I guess the the monitoring part, like if we look at the, the Wikipedia diagram, we're probably talking about the, um, the system two triangle in the upper right, the one next to system three. That probably does need some kind of sense of what's supposed to be going on so that it knows what to look for. Um, Maybe not, though. I mean, if we're talking about these achievement indices, it might just be enough to say, oh, shit, the number's going down, <laughs> like line go down, we better get, better get moving, you know? Maybe it doesn't actually need to know all, the, all that much about what the plans are. Yeah, from what I remember, there was a, kind of a bit of a back and forth between System 3 and System 2 about that, it, mm -hmm. it, from what we discussed in the System 1 section. Um, like, uh they would kind of talk to each other about what things ought to look like. Um, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of remembering that sort of stuff now. And I guess, yeah, that's the, that's half of the point of the um, achievement indices is that it sort of reduces this very rich performance thing down to these, these sets of numbers. And it's like, well, you, you know, there's a problem when the numbers goes down, right? Um, you, you may not need to know precisely what the number represents. You just need to know that it represents a problem. Um, okay, uh, but yeah, I think we'll get on to that in, the, in section three then. Uh, Matt, how's it going? Hey, uh, 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 I feel like with, with, with system one to, to or system two to system three, it's like um, system two is kind of like where may, maybe kind of like a um, like original original like control theory uh, kind of stops. Like like, mm -hmm. like system two kind of kind of seems like a like system two is cruise control. Like like there's no like like it's kind of just very sort of simply just you know or you know like a, um uh, uh, like the old um uh, uh like World War One machine guns on on planes where like there, there was like a little mechanism that that um synchronized it. So that um, you know, it only fires when the propeller is not going to be like in in front of the bullet. Mm -hmm. Sure, like, sure, yeah, like, yeah. And and like system three is kind of where we get into like um, you know, biology and or I guess more modern systems where, where like you know the, 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 there's like a sense of uh, you know, yeah, like, you know, um, but like a modern plane has a sense of like crisis mode, or mm -hmm. you know, or a modern car probably does e e even too. But uh, you yeah, know, like yeah. like yeah, m m most most machines that have some way of regulating themselves, like don't even necessarily like have that layer. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we, we've gone from like these atomic components, the, the system ones, right, and they're they're spitting out numbers, and then we have this layer, this mesh of partial integration, so that in any given two system ones should be able to kind of help themselves a little bit in, in in balancing themselves. But then it's at level, it's at system three that we get to this the first real layer of full integration, like full bodily integration, where it, it, is, a, it is a sort of continent whole, and it is, it is supposed to be able to fully contain itself. Um, but that's, it, it, we're building those layers up and we're, we're gonna get there. But yeah, you're right, like, I mean, you have that thing of like the, yeah, the, the gun only fires when the propeller isn't in front of it, which is synchronization between two components. But then the, in a modern aircraft, the uh, whatever fucking flight computer is doing a full integration of the full body of the plane and is noticing like, wait, shit, like two of the propellers are out and the landing gear is fucked. Uh, this is this is red flashing lights mode, um, but it, it's it, because it has that full full vision of, um, or it has a filtered version of a, of the full vision of what's going on in the plane. Um, okay, Steve. Yeah, I mean, I, I I also try to internalize this too in terms of like where does the control theory stop and and where do you have to get into like higher levels of planning and like the way that I interpreted this too is that um, and I agree with uh, with Matt on this like 
system too is sort of where the end of the control theory stops. But mm -hmm. I think about it in terms of like, you know, the controllers can go and they can track their reference signals and, you know, maybe that reference signal is not a single point. Maybe it's like, you know, track the moving plane or track the sinusoid, that sort of thing. But like at some point, that's not going to be sufficient or somebody needs to decide, you know, which sinusoid you're actually tracking at any given time. And like, that's where the system three sort of has to come in and say, you know, you, this is really what you should be paying attention to. And then once you do go, do, go regulate it as you need to. Mm -hmm. um, and it also like, you know, really uh, emphasizes or I guess underscores like where the sort of reactive regulatory feedback stops and where actual complex planning comes in mm -hmm. and planning could be like a very complicated motion but like who does that who figures that out right and that seems like it can only really start happening when you get to to the system three level because you're incorporating the other constraints other environmental models all sorts of things like that 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 allow you to be more sophisticated about what the underlying systems can then go regulate so mm -hmm. that's you know, I, I'm constantly mapping this onto <laughs> that level of stuff, and and you know, it it, it makes sense, right? It, it, there are there are these boundaries and layers that of complexity that we have to keep putting on top of each other to to really get the full solution. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, you can't get it all done in a winner, uh, unfortunately. What if there was just one function? You just plug all the numbers into it, and it just spit out the right result. Um, you know. Um, okay. Um, anything else? Any other remarks? Because um, if not, we're hitting around the hour mark. Uh, so we can wrap up. Um, or if we want to discuss a bit more, that's fine too. Uh, I'm good wrapping. Uh, I know we went <laughs> a little, we went pretty short. Uh, on this uh, session, but uh, can't wait all, huh? I think it'll be good to like dedicate a whole section or a whole session to discussing uh, system three, uh, yeah. as opposed to sort of blowing through into that and then having the discussion cut in half, and then we'll yeah. we'll finally be done this chapter. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so next time we'll have one, two, three, four, four and a half pages to cover. Um, and today we got through three, I guess, four. Yeah. Actually, no. Yeah. So that we, we could, we can definitely have a pretty substantial session next time for system three. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm also fine with wrapping. Um, thanks, everyone. It's been wonderful as always. Um, and we will catch you all again next week. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 B